straight to the brain. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of Straight to the Brain, a podcast where I do research on a scientific topic and try to make it more digestible for the masses. I'm your host, Xavier Fajardo. Sitting next to me is my co-host, Mio Ramos. Hey guys, what's up? Today we will be continuing our discussion on the innate immune system. More specifically, we will be focusing on the inflammatory response toward a bacterial pathogen. Remember, this is the third installment in our innate immunity series, so be sure to go back and listen to part one and two if you haven't already. But what a rebel if you just see part three and you're like, (laughs) fuck it, going straight into it. Like, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Just like, man, this podcast sucks. (laughs) Just have no idea what's happening. I have no clue what's going on right now. Yeah, go listen to the other parts, guys. It'll it'll help out a lot. (laughs) It'll definitely help out a lot. So far, we've covered the skin and mucosal surfaces, albeit in a very broad sense, Mm -hmm. the complement system, and all of the different effector cells involved in the innate immune system. Uh, The families. The little families. Yeah, the little family (laughs) trees. Yeah. Which you and me, you and I are, you and I are descended from a what again? What did we end up using for our picture? Um, I think we're descended from like the granule site progenitor. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, because I was a neutrophil and you were a... I don't remember if I made myself the eosinophil or the basophil, but still, it's part of that, yeah, little family. I I forget which one it was. It's kind of funny that we made ourselves granule sites and you can see, like, the little granules (laughs) underneath our faces since you like to draw on freckles. Damn, you're gonna call me out. I think it's a very, very cute trend. I see it a lot. There's they they even made a product for it called Freck, and it's it's made so when you put it on, it's very like sheer and it looks very realistic. I'm just broke and I can't afford that right now, and so I'm like, I want that. What am I gonna do? I find something that's like that consistency and I draw it on, and then I like. I put powder on top so it like stays and it looks cute. It looks cute in summary. It's it all is. I have for no, quarantine. No, it is. It is. It is super cute. It's I just great. think it's funny. Yeah. No, it's hilarious. But also when you said that there's a product for like making freckles on yeah. your face, the first thing I pictured was like some kind of gun like object yeah. that you just like shot and it's like. I mean, I have and some, it just like I have shits freckles onto ones. your face. Yeah, well, I have some natural ones, but they get covered up. That one, and then two. I yeah, don't you do have, have a bunch of natural freckles. I don't fle- have nearly freckles. as many as I draw on my face. That like adds to it, but I don't know. I think it's dope. Yeah, what Mia turns herself into a granule site. I turn my. That's right. Yeah, I just make the picture sheer, and then you could see the little polka dots, and I was like, hell yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> So now we're going to bring all of these components together and throw in a couple new things along the way. However, this episode should actually be shorter because I won't feel the need to explain certain things in such detail. Since everyone listening to part three should hopefully have the background knowledge needed for me to do that. Mm -hmm. Although I guess that's all dependent on how well I did my job, but I have confidence in everyone listening. Do you think I did my job well enough for everybody to understand what I'm about to talk about? Yeah, it was great. Man, I said that really fast. (laughs) Twist on the track. The auctioneer. Yeah, I think think people will be able to understand, definitely, as long as they go and listen to the other parts. Yes. Yeah, but I'm pretty excited to finally talk about inflammation because I think Mm. even for us, until we got to our immunology course... Like, we even still had misconceptions about inflammation, and we kind of still assume, like, (laughs) yeah, like, your natural assumption is that inflammation is bad, but Mm -hmm. 
through this episode, you will learn that it actually does have a function mm -hmm. and specifically like what it is. Very true. Well, let's dive right into the body of today's episode. Ooh, okay, the body, the body. Cute, hot body. <laughs> I'm starting to get tired of the trail running scenario, so let's go ahead and switch things up a little <laughs> bit. As of late, I've been trying to get into cycling, and it is, surprisingly, very different from riding mm -hmm. a standard Walmart bike around your cul-de-sac. It hurts. It hurts your booty a it lot. It really does, it yeah. It gets up in there and gives you butt bruises, and it sucks. <laughs> Yeah, when you get a quote-unquote real bike, pretty much every measure of comfort has been eliminated for the <laughs> sake of maximum performance. Yeah, it's very true. But this is all just to say that I've definitely fallen a couple times mm -hmm. and received some gnarly scrapes for it. So let's say that I'm riding my bike down the river walk mm -hmm. when I fall off in an attempt to avoid a woman and her dog that when bitch. she decides... <laughs> <laughs> to suddenly stop in the middle of the road to check her phone. Ew, that's no, that literally that happened before. to me. Yeah, because so usually oh, it wouldn't that be. Happened to you? Yeah, usually it wouldn't oh. be. Typically, it wouldn't be that big of a deal because I would just swerve around her. But so as she as she stopped, other cyclists oh. were coming up the other side of her. Oh no! So I had no choice but to stop really fast, and I just fucking <laughs> you had ate to bail. It. <laughs> you had no choice but to bail. Bail, bail. <laughs> what movie was that from that we were watching? Where Broad City. Like, <laughs> Where she was like, we're going too fast, dude. We got to bail. We got to bail right now. <laughs> Great show. Everybody should go watch it. It's my favorite show. It's so good. Anyway, so you avoided this stupid lady and her dog. Yes, and I fall. Mm -hmm. So now I have a nice little scrape on my knee, meaning that my first layer of defense, my skin, has been breached. Sue that bitch. <laughs> I am now susceptible to the plethora of germs naturally present on that patch of ground including those left there by humans, ducks, raccoons, etc. Mm. <laughs> For our purposes, let's say I picked up some sort of bacteria and that this riverwalk bacteria has established a local infection in my knee. Damn, they just set up camp. <laughs> no permission. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking squatters. Yeah. Squatters rights. <laughs> As we know from our previous episodes on innate immunity, one of the first things to combat an invading pathogen is the complement system. Oh, Twinkie! Oh, Twinkie! Yeah. <laughs> you have to make a Twinkie shirt now. I do. <laughs> but it has to be distinct from Hostess yeah. Twinkies to uh -huh. not get sued. Okay, I'll make sure it looks like that. <laughs> Through complement fixation, these small soluble proteins can either opsonize phagocytosis by tagging the pathogen with C3B mm -hmm. or deal damage itself by assembling a pore forming complex on the pathogen surface using the C5 pathway. Yeah, when they would poke the holes, when they would just drill down into the pathogen. Yeah, the little like oil derricks that exactly. I think was the example that we used. Make that bitch explode. <laughs> We should also know that our resident macrophages are the first effector cells to act on an invading pathogen. Mm. Macrophages possess a wide array of surface receptors that recognize PAMPs, as well as complement components, which trigger receptor-mediated phagocytosis when stimulated. As we discussed last episode, macrophages do help with gobbling up pathogens, as well as pretty much anything else they can get their grubby membranes around, including dead human cells. 
<laughs> They're like the no face of the Studio Ghibli franchise. I always that say that wrong. I never know if it's like Ghibli or Ghibli. I don't Ghibli. know either. I just I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure it's Ghibli. I'm pretty sure you were right the first time. But yeah, it's kind of like kind of like no face. Just Ghibli. sucks everything up. Yes. And you know what? I think I actually use a Spirited Away reference later in the episode. Also. Oh, for real? Yeah. Interesting. Bring it on. Macrophages are essentially cellular garbage disposals, which break down materials trapped in their phagosomes by having them fuse with lysosomes, membrane-bound organelles that contain digestive enzymes. And so we kind of cover what phagosomes and lysosomes are last episode. So again, Mm -hmm. listening to part one and two will make part three make way more sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so here's a quick little picture for me to view and kind of describe to everybody. And this is just showing the different... Mm -hmm. Phagocytic receptors present on the macrophage membrane. Mm-hmm. There they all are. That's crazy. And so, yeah, you can see how, like, these pathogens have different things that are recognized by the macrophage, and then it engulfs it down into a phagosome, which then fuses with this lysosome, degrading whatever was trapped inside that phagosome. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It looks like a little, like a little uh, cell city. <laughs> A little cell city. Yeah. Oh yeah, it kind of looks like a they skyline. Like, yeah. All the different receptors. Yeah, yeah I see what you're docking. saying. They're like psych, and then they just fucking rip them apart. Like that TikTok we saw of that <laughs> woman one? who like caps catches that seagull. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. So it was like someone was recording them from far away, kind of like a. It reminded me of like. What is it called? Like keeping up with the card- like reality TV. Um, help me. <laughs> Videography. Yeah, there you go. So it was like in the back. Like they might as well have been behind a bush. Like it was really far away. And this girl. Like, yeah, since it's on a beach, it kind of seems <laughs> like yeah. they're just a pervert that's like trying to record her. stuff. Yeah. And that's that. That was like the view. So like imagine that. And there's this girl, and she's underneath this like. Beach um, towel. This beach towel. She like dug a hole in the sand to fit underneath it. So it kind of looks like the beach towel is just laying on the oh beach, and, and that there's not a full grown woman underneath, underneath it. it. And I think she put food on the. the yeah, thing? we're not quite know. sure there's no what the way, bait though. was. There had to have been food. But a seagull eventually lands yeah, right. like in the center of this <laughs> towel. And me and I were like, okay, what's going on? But then w- at first she you don't realize out. that there's a woman underneath the towel. <laughs> and she just springs up like a fucking mousetrap and just like bear hugs the seagull. Yeah, and I'm like, so okay, funny. now you have the seagull. Now? What now? <laughs> like, what was your goal? Why did you want that gonna seagull? going to put a leash on it. But the funny part was she like clamped it with her arms and then slowly raised her head. Like, yeah, it's I'm very <laughs> ominous. What if it, it what if she was so like a researcher? Funny. What if she was actually like a biologist that researches seagulls? I hope not. I hope she was just a stupid kid that learned how to do something and it's totally awesome. I I love watching that video. It's so funny. So that's what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to this. <laughs> so accompanying these phagocytic receptors which I guess we're now referring to as seagull traps <laughs> are signaling receptors mm-hmm. which when stimulated by a pathogen, trigger the expression of cytokines. As we've discussed before, cytokines are small soluble proteins which are used for cell communication. Mm -hmm. By utilizing different cytokines, macrophages orchestrate the inflammatory response to an infection. (laughs) Of the different signaling receptors, 
The family of toll-like receptors, or TLRs, are the most well understood, but they are also expressed on different effector cells and recognize a variety of microbial ligands. Do you know what they remind me of, TLRs? Do you know, like, in ancient Egypt, those things that the pharaohs would hold, and it was, like, hooked like that? Yes. What is that called? Uh, Do you know? A sickle? Is that what it's called? I mean, I'm assuming it's a sickle. I yeah, I know For what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Every so every time I see like pictures of it, and we'll like see one soon once you like go into it, right? You have one for us. Yes. So uh, it just reminds me of like ancient Egypt, and it's like doo doo. <laughs> I don't know. I imagine like the the cell that it's showing. You know how it has like the bottom part, and it's like this is the bacterium, or this is whatever cell. That's like the sand, and it's like it's like in the sand and stuff. For today, we will be using TLR4, which works in conjunction with the proteins MD2 and CD14 to explain the structure and role of toll-like receptors in the inflammatory response. Toll-like receptors are transmembrane proteins, which means they span both sides of the cellular membrane. This is essential for them to be able to recognize pathogens on the outside of the cell and then make actions within the cell. The extracellular domain is variable, which allows different TLRs to recognize different pathogens, while the intracellular domain is conserved since its only purpose is to convey information from outside of the cell to the inside of the cell. The signaling domain is referred to as a TIR, T-I-R, domain, and TIR stands for Toll Interleukin 1 Receptor. <laughs> Interleukin. Interleukin. <laughs> The pathogen recognition domain is constructed from repeated copies of an amino acid motif known as a leucine-rich repeat, or LRR. And amino acids are just the smallest unit of a protein, and a motif, in biology, is a conserved sequence of significance consisting of either nucleotides or amino acids in our case. Mm -hmm. LRRs consist of 20 to 29 amino acid residues and are rich in the hydrophobic amino acid leucine, hence the name leucine-rich repeat. <laughs> Variation in the number of LRRs or LRRs present in a recognition domain as well as their amino acid sequences dictate TLR's different microbial ligands. And so it's important to remember that all of the different amino acids, and I'm sure one day we'll probably do an episode covering like the essential amino acids, but all the amino acids have different characteristics. They're composed of different things, which allows them to have different charges or different uh, hydrophobic or hydrophilic properties. And so that allows them to bind to different things. So depending on the composition of the sequences on TLR receptors, that's going to dictate what they're able to recognize and bind. All toll-like receptors consist of two receptor proteins, which can form either a homodimer or heterodimer. And that just means two of the same or two that are different. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> the toll-like receptor that we will be focusing on, TLR4, only associates with itself. So it forms a homodimeric receptor, and TLR4 receptors recognize the molecule LPS. Okay. LPS, or lipopolysaccharides are large molecules consisting of a lipid and a polysaccharide tail composed of an inner core, outer core, and O antigen. 
and lipid is just another word for fat, and saccharides are sugars, also known as carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So a polysaccharide is just a structure consisting of multiple sugars. <laughs> she fat with a pH. <laughs> the composition of LPS isn't actually that important for today's episode. I just thought I'd share it. What is important is that LPS is found on the outer membrane of gram-negative bacteria and secreted by them as an endotoxin. This makes LPS a pretty good pamp for the innate immune system. And so here is a picture of what LPS looks oh, like. Okay. And so you can see here is the lipid body, and then this is the polysaccharide, the carbohydrate uh -huh. tail. That's cute. The little lipid has... <laughs> it looks like the... <laughs> <laughs> Those things you put on the doorway if you don't have a door and then you just like push the beads that you push to the side. Yeah, it does kind of look like that. Yeah, it looks like a bead Welcome door. Welcome to my pad. <laughs> Welcome to my waterbed. Yeah. <laughs> I just assume I if you have beds. a bead door, you probably you have also a have a waterbed. And a tapestry and some kind of weird candle. Oh, and a collection of like geodes for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> really cool rocks. Also, since we're using TLR4 as our example toll-like receptor, mm -hmm. and it only recognizes LPS, that means my knee needs to have been invaded by a gram-negative bacteria. <laughs> if you gram-positive, you're fucked in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> the most common and widely known gram-negative bacteria is probably E. coli. That's the poop bacteria. <laughs> So for the sake of argument, let's say that E. coli is establishing a localized infection in my knee. Mm -hmm. Maybe I fell in some duck droppings. It's a bear duck. <laughs> now, I have LPS-expressing bacteria present in my knee abrasion. Mm -hmm. Eventually, a molecule of LPS will bind to the macrophage surface receptor, CD14, which acts as a co-receptor for TLR4. The soluble protein, MD2, will then associate with the extracellular TLR4 homodimer, mm -hmm. conferring sensitivity for LPS. Mm, okay. So real quick, the lipid portion of LPS forms a sort of main body, while the polysaccharide forms a tail-like structure. The CD14 surface receptor binds to the lipid body of the molecule and stabilizes it, while the MD2-TLR4 complex recognizes the polysaccharide tail-like structure. So a TLR4 receptor, CD14, and MD2 all come together to recognize a single molecule of LPS. Yeah, it's like plugging in <laughs> the picture. Yeah, it kind of does look like you're just plugging it <laughs> yeah. into something because it looks like a cord with yeah, that weird tail. Exactly. Once LPS has been recognized extracellularly, the intracellular tear domain is activated and binds to the similar tear domain of the protein MyD88. MyD88 is an example of an adapter protein which links together two signaling components. So MyD88 is sort of the iPhone dongle of this entire process. Or it's like a MySpace username for a really perverted 12-year-old kid. MyD88, that does My seem D88. like a horrible... <laughs> screen name oh my god no, no 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 it's like you think it's like this hot guy and then when you like skype them it's like this 45 year old man that's trying to creep on like what was young women. <laughs> what was joaquin Gross. phoenix's screen name in her wasn't it like oh i have no clue i could look it up later though i, I feel like it was like long guy four by four or something <laughs> like that something super cheesy and gross oh man 
the second domain of the MyD88 protein then binds to the next protein in the pathway, IRAC4, but not IRAC spelt like the country, it's I-R-A-K-4. <laughs> IRAC4 is a protein kinase. A protein kinase is an enzyme that catalyzes the transfer of a phosphate group from ATP to another molecule, thereby activating a protein via conformational change. So the protein changes from an inactive structure to an active structure, typically revealing some molecule of significance. Supplies! <laughs> and ATP is essentially the fuel source for biological functions. It's the gas. <laughs> the gas to the car. Once IRAC4 is activated by MyD88, it actually phosphorylates itself, leading to IRAC4's dissociation from the complex, mm, okay. whereupon it can phosphorylate the next protein, TRAF6. Trough. <laughs> the phosphorylation of TRAF6 leads to the phosphorylation and activation of IKK, or inhibitor of KB kinase, by way of kinase cascade. So it's just a bunch of proteins phosphorylating each other until mm. it gets to IKK. The domino effect. Essentially. Yeah. The role of IKK is to activate the transcription factor called nuclear factor KB or NFKB. NFKB. And a transcription factor is a protein that binds to DNA to promote the transcription of specific genes into RNA, which will then be translated into proteins. However, NFKB is kept in the cytoplasm in an inactive complex with the inhibitor of KB, or IKB. Based on the last few protein names, some of you may be able to predict what happens next. <laughs> Scientists tend to name things very literally. Yeah. Phosphorylated IKK goes and phosphorylates IKB, thereby releasing NFKB from IKB's inhibitory chokehold. Oh, how graphic. <laughs> NFKB can now be spirited away Aww. or translocated from the cytoplasm to the nucleus. Remember, NFKB is a transcription factor, so it must find its way to the cell's genetic material, which is kept in... The nucleus. Kept away. Kept locked up. Once NFKB makes it into the nucleus, it initiates the transcription of genes that code for cytokines, adhesion molecules, and other proteins that promote an inflammatory response. And so here is a picture of the process. And so here's our bacterium. Oh, yes. And bacterium is the singular version of bacteria. And so here is our bacterium, mm -hmm. and it's expressing LPS. And so you can see here that the lipid body of LPS will then yeah. bind to the protein CD14. And then the polysaccharide tail will bind to the MD2 slash TLR4 receptor domain. Okay, yeah. Little wiggly tail on the blue half circle. At this point, <laughs> the tear domain, which is the intracellular component, so that's the uh -huh. part inside the cell, connects to my D88, which phosphorylates IRAC4. And okay. then you can see, so in the picture that we will be posting, uh, the phosphate group is represented by a little red dot. Oh, <laughs> looks like a clown nose. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's like the clown nose. Oh my god, Twinkie is a clown nose. <laughs> and so you can see here how the IRAC4 leaves, and now it has the red dot on it, and then yeah. it interacts with TRAF6, phosphorylating it, and then TRAF6 takes off, and now it has the clown nose. Oh, or the phosphate group. It kind of looks like a relay race. 
kind of yeah it kind of just seems like it's passing along and so then through a kinase cascade eventually ikk is phosphorylated Mm -hmm. ikk then finds its way to nfkb where it then phosphorylates ikb Uh thereby releasing nfkb and then you can see here that ikb just gets degraded in the cytoplasm yeah it lets go at this point that's deep Let's go. (laughs) At this point, NFKB can then be translocated into the nucleus, as you see here, Mm -hmm. where it binds to a piece of genetic material, and then it gets transcribed into RNA, and then these little green things here are supposed to be representative of ribosomes, I suppose. It doesn't actually Uh label them, but I'm assuming those are ribosomes, and so it's translating it into the actual proteins. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, so they are translated through the ER, which allows them to, like, exit the cell because then it gets, like, engulfed into a little vascule and gets taken out through the cell. So these cytokines are generally short-lived and exert their influence within a short distance from their cell of origin. In some instances, cytokine-producing cells even have to make direct contact with cells they intend to influence with cytokines. While this may seem very limiting, The innate immune response inevitably causes damage to surrounding tissues, so these handicaps are in place to reduce collateral damage and contain the immune response where it is actually needed. While activated macrophages secrete a number of different cytokines, the prominent cytokines that we will be focusing on are interleukin-1-beta, interleukin-6, interleukin-12, CXCL8, and tumor necrosis factor Alpha or TNF alpha. That's so many of them. That's crazy. These cytokines are collectively known as inflammatory cytokines because Mm -hmm. their combined effect creates a state of inflammation. Of red and puffiness. (laughs) And I know we've alluded to this next statement multiple times, Mm -hmm. but it bears repeating. While inflammation is associated with an infection, It is caused by your immune system in response to that infection and not by the invading pathogens themselves. No, no, no. (laughs) Creating the red, hot, swollen, painful tissue around the site of infection is in fact the goal of your immune system. Mm -hmm. While this tactic may result in collateral damage to healthy tissues, it is a cost-benefit analysis by your immune system. If nothing is done the invading pathogen will cause significantly more damage and possibly kill you. Literally. (laughs) While immunological processes may cause damage to tissues, the damage is likely less severe than allowing the pathogen to run rampant. Oh, totally. Yeah, that makes complete sense. However, with modern medicine, we can treat many pathogens, but our immune system may still want to go hard in the paint, for (laughs) lack of a better word or term. At that point, We then treat symptoms caused by the immune system and, in some cases, even make strides to inhibit its response. We say, hey, you gotta chill out. (laughs) A quick example that you can hear more about in part two of our COVID-19 episodes is the interleukin-6 inhibitor tocilizumab. (laughs) Which, that's a fucking tocilly word to say. Yeah, that is. It's really weird. (laughs) COVID-19 has been shown to elicit an excessive immune response, leading to lung inflammation and damage, also known as pneumonia. Not good, not good. The antagonist for what many have termed the quote-unquote cytokine storm Mm -hmm. is thought to be interleukin-6, 
a cytokine that is naturally produced by your immune system to fight infections. Yeah, it's only natural. While it is being produced in an attempt to remedy the situation, it is actually making it worse. Therefore, we must inhibit it. In its place, we can use antivirals or donated plasma with antibodies to combat the infection. So go out and donate. <laughs> yeah, if you, you can take antibody tests, and if you find out that you have antibodies, you yeah, should donate right. some plasma. Yeah, but yeah, right. so that's, a, that's the issue with modern medicine, where back then, it's like we don't have these medicines that can help fix things, yeah. and so you're kind of just dependent on your immune system. But now, we can use chemicals to treat things, and we don't need your immune system to do so much damage in an attempt to combat something. And so at a lot of time, so a lot of the time, we actually have to treat the symptoms of... Mm -hmm. Your immune system. Yeah. So you don't overheat and die. <laughs> yeah, literally just overheat and die. Yeah. Naturally, many of you are probably wondering, why is inflammation necessary? Well, many effector cells have limited access to healthy tissues, but for the cellular serial killer that is the neutrophil, <laughs> all access is denied. No VIP for you. <laughs> so the ultimate goal of the inflammatory process is to grant effector cells access to tissues that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. VIP for everybody. <laughs> now, let's discuss the different inflammatory cytokines and their functions. Yes, tell me them. Tell. Oh, I remember this picture. And so we're going to use this oh, picture, man. and it will be posted, of course. And here is a picture of a macrophage, and then it's showing all <laughs> of the different cytokines that it produces. I, I just love the color scheme here. It's in rainbow order, you know? So <laughs> it just makes it very pleasing to the eye. Okay, so interleukin-1 beta and TNF-alpha both induce blood vessels to become more permeable, mm -hmm. enabling effector cells and fluid-containing soluble effector molecules to enter the infected tissues. Yeah, it's like opening the gate. Interleukin-6 induces fat and muscle cells to metabolize, making heat and raising the temperature in the infected tissues. And so this is literally an attempt to denature the pathogens. Yeah, kill it via heat. Yeah, so that's what your fever is. That's why your body temperature is raising. And there's other molecules that actually go up to the hypothalamus of your brain to yeah. control temperature regulation in your body. And that is done in an attempt to actually denature pathogens or inhibit their replication because mm -hmm. some of them can't replicate at those higher temperatures. Yeah, so IL-6 going to smoke the monster out. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> CXCL8 recruits neutrophils from the blood and guides them to the infected tissue. This way, this way to infection. <laughs> yeah, they're like chaperones. <laughs> yeah. Interleukin-12 recruits and activates natural killer cells, as well as monocytes, which, uh, once they get to the site of infection, mature mm -hmm. into macrophages, and they essentially help clean up the mess left behind by neutrophils, because as you remember from last episode, neutrophils, yeah. when they die, uh -huh. they kind of just leave this pussy death mess <laughs> that needs to get cleaned up <laughs> yeah. and so these monocytes are coming in and maturing into macrophages so that yeah. they can gobble up all of the dead cells left behind by the ensuing battle between pathogen and mm -hmm. effector cells chomp 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 bitch but yeah we did talk about those cells in the last episode it's family tree <laughs> all right now that we have a general knowledge of the inflammatory cytokines 
let's dive a little deeper into how neutrophils are actually recruited. Drip, splash. (laughs) (laughs) Because remember, neutrophils are essentially the infantry of our immune system. They Mm -hmm. do so much. And so that's why we're kind of focusing on explaining how the neutrophils get recruited because they're kind of doing a bulk of the work in terms of the innate immune system, especially toward a bacterial infection. Mm -hmm. Most valuable player (laughs) of the innate immune system. They're the Michael Jordan of your immune system. <laughs> and they get upset. And macrophages or Scotty Pippen. Aww. <laughs> the greatest number two. <laughs> <laughs> In the absence of infection, neutrophils rapidly circulate through blood capillaries until mm-hmm. they are needed. Once the inflammatory process begins, interleukin 1 beta and TNF alpha induce vasodilation, mm-hmm. which makes the blood vessels more permeable but also decreases blood flow. Yeah. And vasodilation just means that they're dilating the diameter of the blood vessels. They're just making them larger. And so this decrease in blood flow allows circulating neutrophils to slow down, which enables them to make contact with the vascular endothelium. Mm -hmm. Slow down. Take a ride. See what you can find. This allows for the transient interaction between selectant adhesion molecules on vascular endothelium and carbohydrate groups of glycoproteins present on the neutrophil surface. However, this is a weak interaction, so the neutrophil will keep rolling along the endothelium, (laughs) briefly interacting with different selectant molecules. (laughs) <laughs> literally just rolling around yeah this process is known <laughs> as rolling adhesion yeah. but now we require what is known as tight binding oh sexy tight binding. while tnf alpha increases the permeability of blood vessels uh-huh. it also induces the vascular endothelium to express icam1 and icam2 adhesion molecules that serve to further anchor neutrophils by acting as ligands for CR3 and LFA1 receptors on neutrophils. So these ICAM1 and ICAM2 molecules are being expressed by the endothelium of blood vessels and they are attaching to the CR3 and LFA1 receptors on neutrophil surfaces. This interaction is initially weak, Mm -hmm. but once the neutrophil binds to the cytokine CXCL8, which is being secreted by the resident macrophage, the interaction strengthens, immobilizing the neutrophil. The cytokine CXCL8 is part of a specific family of chemoattractant cytokines termed chemokines. Chemokines are responsible for attracting or trafficking leukocytes about the body. Neutrophils move up the concentration gradient of CXCL8, meaning it migrates toward the highest concentration of the chemokine. Obviously, the concentration will be at its highest at its source, which is the resident macrophage at the site of infection. <laughs> it's no like, well. <laughs> yeah, it's like a cartoon pig following pie smell lines toward their source. I must be a cartoon pig then, because that sounds delicious. <laughs> a pie? Are you kidding me? Oh man, yeah, pie sounds great. It sounds amazing. <laughs> now that the neutrophil has been fixed in place, it can begin the process of extravasation, which oh. simply means that the neutrophil is going to leave the blood vessel by squeezing through the gaps between neighboring cells. Excuse me, I'm gonna get through. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially like if you ever just try to like squeeze your way through like, like a subway a cart oh, or at a too. concert too. Yeah. yeah. 
just gotta get past people. <laughs> it's awkward because <laughs> you're just like there's a lot of touching involved. <laughs> this process is facilitated by CD31 proteins, which are expressed by neutrophils and endothelial cells. Interactions between CD31 proteins help to move neutrophils across the endothelium. Okay. Once across, the neutrophil can now follow the pie smell <laughs> or CXCL8 gradient to the microbial battlefield. Oh my god. <laughs> At this point, neutrophils also change up their gene expression, mm -hmm. making them more active and therefore more deadly. Oh my god. I'm gonna get you! Ooh, and so picture. here's a picture of that process, and as you can see... The neutrophil has these carbohydrates that are expressed off of it. Mm -hmm. And here is the selectin on the endothelial cells. And so typically be when the blood flow is normal, yeah. the neutrophils are just flying by and aren't able to make any interaction with fast. the endothelium. Yeah. But now that blood flow has slowed down due to vasodilation. It's easier to grab on. Yeah, it's slowing down, and it, so it's doing that rolling adhesion where it's just briefly connecting with the selectin, but it's not a strong enough bond to hold it down, and so it keeps mm -hmm. rolling. But it rolling more allows for that. You can see the Yeah, it continually starts to slow it down, and then luckily TNF-alpha will uh -huh. force the endothelium to express the ICAM adhesion molecules, yeah. which then bind to the neutrophil. Mm-hmm. And then you can see here that it then binds to a chemokine. Yeah, and that's what green circle. And that's what truly anchors it down to the endothelium. And then thanks to an interaction between CD31 proteins, the mm -hmm. neutrophil can then squeeze through <laughs> the blood vessel. And it is now yeah. in the tissue. Yeah, it came and through. It, and it's just going to follow that gradient of chemokines all the way to the site of infection. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. So it takes like three anchors to bring that thing down essentially yeah at this point the recruited effector cells the resident macrophages and the complement system all work together to combat the bacterial infection in my knee and to save the city <laughs> unfortunately i've been strapped for time this week so yeah. this is where we will be ending today there are a few more things that I need to cover on the innate immune system before we can move on to adaptive immunity. Very true. But I'll discuss them in next week's episode. Hell yeah. After that episode, we might take a break from biology and cover another area of STEM before diving into the adaptive immunity. Because I'm sure Ooh, everyone's probably getting a little bogged down with all the biology. It's just that that's my area of expertise. Mystery science topic? Interesting. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you all for listening all very pictures very for this episode will be posted on our website yes. straight to the brain dot com mm -hmm. that's straight the number two the brain straight to the brain dot com the pictures are located in the corresponding blog post for the episode mm -hmm. all sources used for this episode can also be found on the website under the sources tab follow us on at straight to brain on both twitter and instagram that is at straight, the number two, brain. At straight to brain on both platforms. Come say hey, what's up. Please rate and review. If you have any questions, comments, or episode ideas, you can email us at straight to brain at gmail.com. Yes, send us virtual mail, please. <laughs> Once again, that is straight, the number two, brain at gmail.com. As a disclaimer, I am not considered an expert on the topics that I cover. Goodbye and good luck in your endeavors. Later, guys. This has been Straight, Straight to, to the, the Brain. brain.